Are you using the microphone on your laptop? Not tonight. You're not on the list. Hello, I'm Colin McLoon and welcome to the new podcast, You're Not On The List, where I interview and dive deep into the lives of those in the music industry. From artists to event organisers and promoters to label owners, we take a look at the early lives and careers of those in the scene. My guest this week is co-founder and label owner of Lengoland, a platform that started off as a small social media community of bass music enthusiasts, but has expanded around the world, showcasing in Japan, Amsterdam and all over the UK. He's also a manager to a collective of artists and knows a thing or two about advertising outside the box. It's Junior Ngoma. Junior, how are you? I'm doing great, thank you. How are you? Yeah, man, I'm very well. Very, very, very well. How sort of how sort of this post? Well, it's not even post lockdown yet, is it? It's, it's coming to the start of coming to the end of sort of lockdown now vibes. There's some light at the end of the tunnel with live music events sort of starting to gain momentum, gain some, gain some forward movement. How's that, uh, how's that made you feel, mate? Yeah, it feels good. Like, it feels like almost like a rebirth, like we're starting from scratch again, but it's a good feeling because, you know, the fields are very level right mm. now. So, uh, yeah, it's who comes first. So I mentioned at the start there that you've got a uh, you've got a lot of strings to your bow with regards to management, with event organisation, with building up community groups, with building up artists. But uh, I want to take it back to the beginning, if I may. What are your earliest memories of music? I think I was like in year five, and I was coming home on the bus with like my next door neighbour, and uh, some dude gave us a so solid CD. It was a double CD. And uh, we had a little scrap over it. I ended up getting one side. <laughs> but basically, I went home, put it in like a little stereo that I had in my room. And I don't think I had it for more than an hour. My mum took it and binned it. She was like, you're not listening to that nonsense. Because of the, because of the, because of the uh, like parental advisory sort of um, suspect I, on there. I think it probably said some explicit words. But to be honest with you, I can't remember exactly what it was. But uh, yeah, I, 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 do, I do remember, though, it was on Newsround. Because so solid, were like getting a bit of heat for having guns and rocket launchers in their music videos, weren't they? They were. Yeah, so, I remember uh, that. That's probably in relation to that. Fair enough. Yeah, did that make you sort of want to, I suppose, where that was taken away from you? And then did that make you, did that sort of fuel the fire of going, nah, you know what, I want to listen to this more? Or were you like, I'm not listening to, did you uh, like heed your mum's words and not listen to any sort of like early grime? So I didn't have a computer at that time. And I didn't really get have a computer until I was about 13. So that's what, year eight, year nine. So for a, a, from like year five, year six, up until like year nine, I was literally listening to whatever was on the radio. So Busted was a big one. I, I really enjoyed Busted. I know it doesn't sound like a... <laughs> Busted. Busted was great. Eminem was great. Um, 50 Cent, the usuals, you know, that everyone listened to. But I, I guess my music interest like um, took a, a deep dive when I say I got to like secondary school and Grime was a thing, Channel U, uh, MySpace, uh, and yeah, kind of just exploded from there. So Channel U is quite... Sp- uh, I, I used to watch Channel U as well, but it was quite a niche for, for the music channels considering what all the other sort of music channels were on digital or were on Sky. You sort of had like your smash hits, your MTV, MTV yes. Rock, TMF, whatever. Mm. And then along came this this program that was just showing uh, grime, but it was showing grime, sort of garage, uh, a bit UK funky and stuff at the time. Like the videos on there weren't all necessarily your really, really high budget Hollywood mad production ones, were they? They were sort no. of like very grassroots shot on maybe like a DV camcorder and then would get put on there. 
And it was really incredible to see this sort of music come up from the ground and have that representation on like TV at such an early stage in its sort of like career. Yeah, to be honest, I, I didn't really think of it like in the way you just described it back then. It was just, yo, this is on TV. This is pretty cool. And like, I think also the fact that it was people, I mean, not close to me necessarily, but you know, it was re- relevant to my surroundings. Like people around me listened to that music. They'd play that on the bus on the way to school and back. And, you know, it was music that was at my disposal rather than say like mm. a, a Kylie Minogue or <laughs> them people's there. But mm. yeah, uh, looking back on it, the quality of production was pretty low, but that's part of the grassroots um, movement, right? Do do the best with what you Absolutely have. Absolutely is, yeah. It sort of gives it a nice, it gives it a raw feel. That mm. thing that's unpolished, it makes it seem like, oh, you know what, this is, this is genuine. So that's sort of like your early teen years. How do you then sort of progress and move on to accommodating Lengoland basically like I got really so I was really into design around this point so obviously like with like I said the internet was uh, a big thing for me from the age of like 13 upwards um got into like the MSN stuff uh, I was really curious about how people had like their little MySpace no not MySpace um a little display profile pictures on MSN and I asked the uh, one dude it was like how did you get like your name with the funny text and like the 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 silhouette of a woman <laughs> on, on like your MSN. And he's like, oh, this thing called Photoshop. So uh, I got involved with that and, you know, I tinkered around with it. And around the same time as well, people at school, baseline was kind of a, you know, a thing. People were producing music. So I started like, you know, helping them out with making like artwork, logos. And then I drifted into like making MySpace layouts and Bebo skins, like just the whole range of assets. And like, that's kind of like, from there, I just took an interest in music. Um, I got more involved with like just the forums and, you know, sharing and listening. Just, 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 I was very active, you could say, um, in person with music and also online. Then as time grew on, I tried to get into the whole production side of things um, that lasted about two months. <laughs> and I realized that this ain't for me, but I stuck with the design and then I kind of went into like merchandising. So I listened to JME quite a lot and there was like that whole Boy Better No t-shirts like way back when, right? So yeah, I, they, I, they went from us on, uh, on Channel U and stuff as well, weren't they? Yeah, they, they, those t-shirts were everywhere and like obviously I never had the money for them. So just kind of that idea just sparked up. I was like, I wanna, how do I create my own like clothing line or make my own t-shirts? And Primark was a very cheap back then. You could go in Primark and get like three pounds for a t-shirt or something like that. Um, so like that interest kind of, you know, grew inside me. And then I think when I got to college, and I started getting like EMA. Uh, I don't know, they don't do it anymore, but you probably know what EMA is, right? Education. I do remember it, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like 30 pounds a week or something like that. So I'd have like uh, two new shirts a week from Primark. Then I went to Wilco's and I was like, okay, you can buy like t shirt iron on paper. Uh, so I'd like make like some designs, print them off, and then iron them onto like blank t shirts. Then from there, I, next thing you know, I've got a clothing line specifically aimed at like dubstep fans and that did pretty well had like a collaboration with scream uh did some stuff with funk case like i've I've worked like around that scene for quite a while and you know just literally made my contacts through there got to know people got more interested in like the business side of music and obviously like the design and actual music production itself and i've just been involved ever since really so if we get into lengo lands for those listening who might have thought i said 
Legoland, which is what some people who don't know about it is go, what, yeah. Legoland? You go, no, 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 Legoland. And there might be some people sitting there that have no idea what Leng means yeah. or where it sort of stems from. What would you sort of say it means? What Leng means or what? Leng, yeah, so Leng and then the sort of the pun, the pun on Lengo, Legoland. So Leng's obviously um, slang for a for gun. Uh, that's from like the Caribbean heritage. I mean, I'm not Caribbean myself, but that's very much street slang. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously Lengoland is a, 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 a play on Legoland. Yeah, it's like a play on words, isn't it? Yeah, so, it's, a, it's yeah. a play on words. Um, how those two have come together, I don't know. It's just funny, right? Like, yeah, no, it is, <laughs> no, it is funny. Like, I remember the first time seeing it, and especially when you see like the logo and everything. Mm. And um, and back in the day, as, as you were referencing some of your earlier T-shirt designs, mm. there's, yeah, there's sort of a play on words. And the whole sort of ace music culture, there's artists that obviously incorporate Leng in their name and stuff as well. So it's sort yeah. of, and, and, in, and in lyrics and stuff like that, in grime and other bits like that, it's been brought up. So, you know, that's sort of where the uh, where the collaboration between the two comes from. Mm. Um, you yourself, as we touched on in the background, so you're from Bradford originally? Uh, so I'm actually Cameroonian. I moved to Bradford in the year 2000 when I was seven. That's when I moved to the okay. UK. Uh, but I've grown up in Bradford um, pretty much, yeah. And Bradford, as for those of you that don't know, is just down the road from Leeds, just down the road from Manchester, just down the road from Sheffield. So that itself, as well as Bradford, sort of has quite a strong bass music centric sound. I would say a lot of those cities yeah, uh, incorporate yeah. a lot of drum and bass, a lot of grime, a lot of dubstep, a lot of like UK funky, bass house, stuff like that. I'd say the the, the grime is more southbound, like London and such. Yeah. Um, the, the north anyway, like Manchester, like you said, Leeds. Bradford, etc. They were heavily based in like I don't want to say the armpit of British music, but like the more obscure sounds. You know, sounds like nowhere else in the country was playing. You know, like MCs in Bradford and surrounding don't sound like MCs at anywhere else in the country. Um, so yeah, armpit is actually a really bad word. Do you think? <laughs> It's the, very, uh, it's, yeah, it's the armpit of UK based music. <laughs> that's, uh, it's different. Like, I can say that. That's a, yeah. What once started as a small group of people discussing tunes they liked has grown into a community of members giving feedback on music production, live mixes, tickets to events, and music rivalries. I wanted to discuss what it's like trying to maintain a group and label with so many active members. Lingerland. It's a base community yep. that was originally founded on Facebook. Yeah. It's a community that has grown to 22,000 people now when I last looked this week. Yeah. It incorporates grime, drum and bass, like UK-based music, UK-funky. It's not just one specific genre. It's like a nice wide a nice yeah, wide berth of lots it, of different it, genres. It covers the underground uh, pretty well um, in terms of what the UK is saying anyway, yeah. But I'd say it's like the, its roots are pretty much heavily based around baseline. How do you find, I suppose running or having to accommodate 20,000 members on a Facebook group where most of them are pretty much active promoting their own stuff, promoting their own content. Is it difficult? Um, I think it depends what I'm trying to do. So say for instance, like with the label side of things, I I have to like, or at least I, I think the best way that I can make that label work or how I try to make that label work is to pick the more the more wildcard options from the group that are popular within the group but aren't necessarily being picked up outside of the group, right? And that for me is kind of like it's a almost a guilty pleasure. You know that there's the whole concept of a, your favorite producer's favorite producer. Mm-hmm. You know, like everyone's like, oh my god, like yeah, this producer makes the sickest stuff, but fans ain't listening to that producer the same way that you are. You might be right. Um, mm. So 
when it comes to the label side of things, I try to kind of incorporate those people, like people that get the props in the group, but they're not exactly being released on the, the, the high prestige labels or, you know, getting the big bookings, like, you know, people that depending on opinions might not deserve it. Uh, so that's, that's one thing I try to do, but also I try to push music that I actually genuinely enjoy. And one thing I, I, I always have to remember is as much as I might be kind of leading the label side of things, I am also part of the group. So my taste will vary every now and again. My taste will change. So I have to bear that in mind and not just follow what the group is saying. I have to enjoy the music, basically, mm. at the same time as hope that the, the, the rest of the group do too. So it, it's a juggling act, you could say. But for the moment, in, for like currently, I'd say it's relatively easy and it's passive because I'm not. Re we're not releasing that much. I think we release like a handful of times a year. And that's just for me to also get accustomed to the whole label release cycle. Mm. Um, and yeah, plus I've got other responsibilities. It's a, it's a big group to manage. And so what was the last 12 months like for you as a label with coronavirus going on? Was there any sort of things that you saw in the Facebook group necessarily get really popular that wasn't before or from your business side of perspective with stuff like streaming on Spotify? Was there any impact that you saw that coronavirus had? So um, my distributor, they actually reached out to me um, like kind of towards the end of 2020 saying, oh, streams have gone up um, in the past year because obviously more people are at home and more people are releasing as well, weirdly. So you probably should you know, double down on what you're releasing, etc. So I guess that was a positive thing. Uh, live streaming as well and how people present themselves online. I feel like there's been a massive, massive like um, breath of fresh air in that department for a lot of artists. People are trying more different things. You know, that's what I think Burt Cope did like a stream in front of like some wind turbines and he had like a, a drone with a camera recording. I mean, like really cool stuff. And UKF was doing their whole visual, uh, what's it called? Hyper visual um, sets with uh, different acts where they had like a guest um, creators, you know, making the backdrops and stuff. And also, just in terms of like what Langoland has done, the war dubs that we put out, like we did two of those last year, and that, that helped. Uh, so can you explain to me, sorry, what, I, uh, what a war dub is? Okay, so yeah, with war dubs in the context of Langoland, we, we get a bunch of producers and we, we put them through like a, a knockout style tournament. And yeah, they go through, people in the group decide which track was best. So... In the first round, generally speaking, it's very, very like light slap boxing kind of stuff whilst they all get to know each other. But then by the fault, by the, the, the first, sorry, by the second round, everyone's kind of known the strengths and weaknesses. Like, is this person going to put out a funny joke about me? Are they going to produce like a really good track or like, do you know, it gets a bit more competitive and it gets a bit tenser as it gets towards the final. Pretty much just insult me with your production skills or jokes about my girlfriend so it goes down say like from 16 members so there's 16 people that will produce a track then mm -hmm. it goes down to eight members because each one of the other two have been yeah. knocked out yeah what sort of time frame are these producers having to make the next track in a war dub battle so in the last for the last two or three years it's been a week a week so yeah. basically someone has a week to have, have a response yeah to, uh, to whatever track they're doing and they know who um they know who they're going up against so they, they can know, sort of formulate yeah so the, the thing is that they're not creating tracks in response they're creating tracks that 
at the same time, and nobody gets to hear that track until the Friday. Uh, so it's, it's not it's not it's not in the um, in the typical sense of a dub where one person produces the track, the person replies back and forth. It's like these guys are going concurrently. Has there ever been without naming any names? Has there ever been any serious fallouts or um, uh, sort of knock on effects from any of the the water battles between producers? Before my time, I, I, I believe there was some issue, but um, not not in recent times, no. At least I don't think so. Okay, that's interesting. It's good to know. It's good yeah, to know. That that'd, be pretty, that'd be pretty funny, right? <laughs> yeah, you've got to have sort of a thick skin and not take it too personally. If, you, yeah. if you're signing up to do it, like people are going to get, get the dirt on you, aren't they, to, uh, to exactly. do stuff? Exactly, that's, that's part of the fun. Besides, you know, I feel like in, in recent years anyway, it's, it's turned more i mean last year's were definitely more production based and who can produce the best kind of sounds uh this year's was because with mainly like newcomers and smaller producers so they were a bit more personal with each other so it, it changes you know it's about getting the right mix of producers in um which can be hard but you know generally speaking they, they, they go well and as like i said as the rounds go on people pick up you know, traits off each other and you know try yeah. to play on them that sounds like a great way to obviously be creative and and test your limits as a producer or test your skills as a producer exactly and yeah. then there's a champion that comes out on top as well so there's a winner so it's a good way to determine it yeah um as someone that's worked in social media or worked with social media for the last few years now and you've seen a group grow from a few hundred to a few thousand and then tens of thousands mm. and i've seen uh, several artists come through that group mm. um the bio for the community says that the group in the members helped demonstrate a collective push and has helped nurture some of the biggest names in UK based music yeah. um, and the examples we got in the group there are Dark Sea Skepsis and Bush Baby which are some of the bigger names from the group um, that you guys would have helped help nurture and uh, helped push through some of them have like signed major label deals now and been on tours in the uk and new zealand and stuff like that mm. what do you think about it? it is about the community that is such a such a, a a nice sort of push for producers and what do you think about it is about the people in the community that help like nurture each other and can help sort of benefit each other's production skills or give feedback because i know for example people will post tracks in their post mix downs post stuff will ask for feedback and it seems to be that people are very responsive in the group and will will really sort of like accommodate people's uh, tastes what do you think it is about the group that has that sort of nice i'd like to say positive influence and positive vibe on uh, the industry there I that, that's a that's a that's a difficult question I think it's just the like-mindedness of it. Um, and I mean, I, I can only detail how I feel about the group. I can't talk for everybody else. But for me, yeah, for absolutely. instance, like coming from like Bradford, a lot of my friends like going to school, they weren't really that interested in the same music that I was. So especially when it came to like, the dubstep era, right? I found a lot more people I could relate to and share music and have like a connection with based on this scene or industry on the internet and online. So I feel like that that that's pulled its way through into Langoland as well. That's what's attracted me to Langoland too. Is like I like baseline. I grew up listening to that kind of music, and there's people that want to talk about it and discuss it to an in, you know a pretty in depth level. So you, you kind of you you gravitate towards. I don't think there's anything necessarily about Langoland itself. It's just more the people having this ideology and wanting to share their passions with everyone. Um, I, I I genuinely believe like this could have been any other group. Anybody else could have started the same thing and it might have popped off. Um, the the key ingredient here, however, is one, the timing, the age range, and also just the energy. And the, 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 the there was definitely like a void 
in the night, sorry, what's it called? In nightlife when it comes to music, because dubstep was a thing, house music came along, then it kind of sloped off a bit. And then everyone went to the hip hop side and everyone was doing hip hop and grime and drill. And I think we, we, there was a missing link in the underground. Like the O2's academies, when I was coming up, they were booking like the Skrillexes and whatever, and Nero's, but then that kind of fizzled out. Everyone went to America, right? So there was mm. a void that had to be filled. So having people of a certain demographic who were there for the dubstep peak, but weren't old enough to be able to get into the club, them being able to own another genre that was in its grassroots elements and also have the ability to go out and, you know, influence that with their pockets and their, you know, their actual their bodies that's been a that, that was part of the recipe that that's made Langoland what it is today so university towns have been crucial um to the growth of Langoland um and you know just the youth as a whole you know it's, it's, it's a youth movement when you really think about it do you think that the youth movement is because they're the youth are more likely to be on the youth? I say the youth, like we're still technically both youthful. It's not like we're old people that I'm talking about here. Hey, we're still included. Nah, you, you feel as like, like you're, as, you're as old as you feel, mate. You're as old as you feel. That's true. The music industry is a competitive one and it can be difficult to get noticed or get your foot in the door. I spoke to Junior about how producers and artists have approached the label in the past. One thing I was going to uh, just touch on there, because like you said, there are uh, young producers in the group and there's young producers that go to baseline events and go to base events, as I'm sure like the main demographic of underground type events like that is mm. 18 to 30, somewhere between that age range, I would say, most yeah. likely. As someone that is a label owner and has had people signed to the label and mm. looks after artists, what advice would you give to someone as a young producer or as a young artist approaching a label? And I might specifically talk about approaching Legoland here. What is some advice that you would give or some of the, without naming names, some of the, um, how could I say it, some of the worst sort of approaches that you've had for people signing new music or wanting to be like, look, can I be a part of the label? Can I get signed? This type of thing. Once again, I can only I can only really talk from my perspective. Mm, yeah, so exactly. the, the artists that I've worked with, generally speaking, I've always approached them first. People that tend to approach me, I generally don't tend to listen to. Uh, unless we've got some sort of rapport and I, you know, I know who you are. And that's not, that's not like on a personal tip. That's just more from a pace of like, you know, when, when you feel like you, you've perfected something, you generally haven't, right? So when someone comes to me, I'm just like, nah, nah, nah. I, I haven't, so it's, it's uns- unsolicited, you know what I mean? Um, whereas if it, the way I, the way I work right now is, like I said, I'll just go through the group. I'll listen to different things. I'll see what people are interacting with. And I'll be like, oh, holy shit, like, damn, you've, you've made like, a couple posts or you've put a couple links in here and the last seven tracks have been on point. I want a slice of this um, versus someone sending me like one tune that they were like, oh, I made this bass track um, yesterday. It'd be really good on Lengoland. I, I know in that instance that in most cases, they've sent that track to like seven other labels. Do you know what I mean? And it's just a case of like, if I throw it out, it'll stick, right? Um, so my mm. my advice for like artists, I guess, the smaller artists is just keep working on your craft. And like, you will get noticed eventually if you're consistent with it. By all means, if you if you feel like you want to reach out to a label, do that. Some labels do pick up tracks like that because um, you can't have your ear to the street all the time, right? Uh, but for me personally, I'd say just keep making your music if it's good enough and the people enjoy it and, you know, you actually care for it the people and the labels will you know reciprocate and give it the love that it needs i mean one thing i do need to add as well is like i guess with the lengoland label it it doesn't i mean it it, it release music but i don't feel like i've structured it like a conventional label has like you know with regular release schedules like it's literally 
there to be a springboard to help artists jump onto that release level, you know? So for instance, like Wito, when I started working with him, he'd only had like one or two releases prior to that. But when we, when we started working, you know, I kind of showed him the ins and outs of what happens behind the scenes, like, you know, royalty rates, what that means, how you make money from your music outside of just selling it on iTunes, how you can build that into like, you know, uh, a brand and, you know, just showing him different things so that when he then goes out and wants to navigate other labels and, you know, there's other offers on the table, he's at least had a test run. Lengoland isn't like the, a, a universal music. We're not, we don't have like big advances or any of that stuff, but it's teaching him the value of his sound and what that sound can bring and every possible avenue that you can push it down. That's what I think the label is doing. Or at least I hope that's the value that people receive out of it. When they when they you know when they join up. So what made you sort of give uh, Wito? So that's one of your artists, isn't it? That yeah, sort yeah. of You work with and collaborate. What what made you give him that sort of, I suppose, teaching or educational side? Because on one perspective, like that's incredibly valuable for him to have. But there's like it's it's a very nice thing to do, and it's a very humble thing for you to do to show him all of that side. Someone else might have had like an artist like that, mm. and wouldn't necessarily show him behind the curtain because some people might like want to manipulate it or take money or like make money from from their artists. What was mm. it about Wito that you decided to be like, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna show him the ins and outs of everything. So if he does want to go to other labels or does like that, he's not going to get the wall pulled over his eyes. Um, so I guess the first thing for me is, so I, I used to work with, um, well, used to work, what am I using the past tense for? So, uh, I worked quite closely with JG around the same time that I met up, met, I met Jamie and, um, He's I actually heard, producer, isn't he? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I heard one of, one of Wito's tracks in a JG mix and I was just like, Jesus Christ, like. This is insane. How how have I never heard of this guy? And how is he not even like a topic? Like why is I mean why why is the why is this the first time I'm hearing of him? Um, so then we got talking, and then uh, the more I got talking to him, I was like, "You're incredibly talented, but you just haven't been given that that platform or you know that exposure that would probably propel you into greatness, right?" So um, he was in Liverpool. Yeah, he, he's from Liverpool. So I was living in London at the time. And I said to him, like, I'm going to Southwest Four this weekend. Um, I've got like backstage passes. So, you know, come down and we can discuss. And like, you know, I think at the time I was trying to like become a, a manager as well. I was trying to, I was trying to do everything. Right. <laughs> so I was like, mm -hmm. you know, what? Let, let's get him down and, you know, put him around the a, a sphere of, a sphere of influence basically. Cause I think that day Chris Lorenzo was playing, Holy Goof was playing. And then there was a bunch of other guys, just the general networking vibe and get him in that whole spirit of networking. And the reason why is because when I was kind of coming up and doing my thing and getting to know the ins and outs of the industry and, you know, um, picking people's brains and stuff that there wasn't, there wasn't like a guide per se, but I do feel that there was a lot of mistakes that I have done in that process, which could have been avoided had I had had a reasonable support network or someone would have been like, Hey, don't go down that way. Like signing contracts for stuff, not really understanding what the implications of that is, or better still not knowing the value of, you know, what I'm pushing, pushing out there. So I guess it was a, an internal frustration myself that I've had from previous things. And also seeing someone that I genuinely believe is talented and being like, you know what, let's not throw you down that alleyway. Let's not throw you down, you know, into like absolute nonsense. Let's, let's help you avoid a lot of these things. And 
as well, I'm also learning too. You know what I mean? Um, and he, he was receptive to this information and I, we've worked pretty closely for the past few years. And um, yeah, I, I'd say, I mean, he, he can obviously speak for himself, but I'd say there's, a, there's, a, there's been a positive increase in his whole persona and, uh, and his understanding of the music world as well. And, and mine too, and mine too. It's refreshing to hear somebody act so nicely and kindly and, and, and thoughtfully around an artist and not want to, not want to sort of bleed them dry. Coronavirus hasn't stopped all events from taking place. Lengoland managed to accommodate a live show in Japan and I wanted to discuss how it came about. One thing we haven't really touched on too much yet is, uh, is events. And I know that, yeah. that uh, Lengoland has done events across the UK, has done events in Amsterdam and mm-hmm. even as far stretched as Japan. Yes, sir. Well, we were talking about earlier the, the geography of music and we were saying about sort of maybe that Northern South, Manchester, Sheffield, uh, Leeds, Bradford, mm-hmm. and that you, that bass sound. Where does the, uh, where did the Japan event sort of formulate from? <laughs> um, obviously, with the whole coronavirus lockdown. Actually, so I, I've been speaking with Jenik uh, for quite a while. Uh, Jenik's the, well, the DJ slash promoter that helped us put the, the Japan event together. Um, and then originally, we wanted to do like a Lengoland show in, in Tokyo, but with a headliner from the UK. So that could have been, you know, pick any top 10 uh, guys from here and, you know, bring them out there under the Lengoland banner and, you know, do a show that way. Obviously, there's a, a, a range of reasons why that couldn't have happened. First of all, coronavirus. Um, secondly, budgets. And thirdly, just the, the sheer distance of that. You know, if, if we book someone in, I think we originally planned to do it in the end of December anyway. So if we're booking someone in for a show, generally have to book them for a whole week right and yeah so that idea didn't really fly too well so in the end i thought you know what let's just instead of cancelling the whole project together how about we just book a venue uh get some locals in because that's essentially what lengoland is right it's just a bunch of like locals uh, sorry uh, a bunch of guys or girls that enjoy music and they just want to share it and dance and have a good time so i thought okay if we get the eat the same ethos out there, if the 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 what's the word? If the model can work out there, it can work anywhere. Um, and I think you know you, you were present at the Amsterdam show. Just for people to go to the actual venue, know that it's under a particular name, regardless of the lineup, and just know what they, what to expect. That I think is what I'm trying to build with the Lengoland events and the brand as a whole. Um, it's been a bit tricky, obviously, with the lockdown and also just. Prior to this, there was competition was rife. Like everybody and their mum was booking everybody. So you know, getting a getting a good lineup down was incredibly difficult. So I think the Japan shows definitely helped me kind of think more about how I do shows moving forward. So instead of trying to get like a ten thousand capacity venue sold out, I'd much rather do like a hundred, two hundred cap with smaller DJs, then at least it, the, the, the focus is on the music and creating good vibes rather than having, you know, the biggest lineup ever possible for like 50 quid a ticket. Oh, I was going to say, where you were saying about having the, there's a lot of competition in the UK. And mm. then when you were saying that you could do shows out in Japan with a smaller capacity, 100, 200 people and have smaller DJs, 
there's been a couple of people that I've spoken to previously that are like, if you're into events for making money, you're in it for the wrong reasons. Exactly. Because there's some people that might not be totally aware of sort of the overheads or the profit margins or the, the, the budget margins of what actually goes into an event, how much uh, how much DJs are, how much uh, it is to hire a venue, how much like security and everything like that is at all. Was there ever a point in, in the career, in your music career so far, like management or label ownership or that, where you thought it wouldn't be the, the right future for you? Um, so as it currently stands, I still have a nine to five job. Like I'm a software engineer, like nine to five and the rest of my spare time is pretty much focused on this and other projects. I know it's not like a full, I mean, don't get me wrong. If someone said to me tomorrow, like, Hey, this is your full-time job now here. What do you, what do you need to, to make that your full-time job? Sorry. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd have a whole list of things that I need to achieve, blah, blah, blah. I've done music full-time before. Like I was a label manager for a label out in Los Angeles for a bit. Uh, for, I think it was just about six months. It paid me really well. And I was working from home basically, but my passion for it, for the music anyway, kind of like dwindled very quickly because you know when something becomes a job, it's like a it's another chore, right? And I didn't enjoy it as much. So when I left and you know pretty much focused exclusively on Lengoland afterwards, I was like, okay, I need a break away from this. Like I need to have something. To, I, I need to look forward to get you know the sorting out plans for Lengoland. It shouldn't feel like a burden or like oh I have to do this. That's that's kind of where I'm at right now. Where I, I've got another responsibility, which wants it, it, it does two things for me. It keeps my bills paid, so I don't have to worry about whether the the, the label or whatever's doing well, and it keeps my, my it gives me something else to think about. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm. so yeah, that's where I'm at. Do I want it as a career? Yeah, of course, man. I, who doesn't want their, their hobby as a career, but the reality of it for me right now is not very pleasant. So I, I, I want to keep it as a, as a hobby on the side for as, as long as I can whilst doing so. I mean, I feel like I've held it like a full-time job, but as a hobby at the same time. Not everything is golden in the world of live music. Sometimes, just like in life, you have to take the bad with the good. And I wanted to speak to Junior about some of the mishaps he'd experienced throughout his career. Just to uh, just to keep, and I've asked some other people this in interviews to keep perspective on live events and live music, and and this image that everything is great all of the time, and events are great, and everything's good, and whatever. <laughs> as there, as there, everyone's having a great time. Everyone's like, there's no, there's no drama, there's no fiasco. Not naming specific names, but has there been anything that you have learned along the way? that mistakes have been made or there's been stuff that has happened at events where you thought, okay, I can learn from this, but I wish I knew about this before. One thing that's very apparent is that this is a very lonely industry. That's that's something which I've learned the hard way. And there's a specific moment which I can actually, I'll share with you. So I did, um, so Langoland hosted room two at O2 Academy Brixton on New Year's Eve. Main room was like noisier, like, you know, big, big lineup, Rusko and all this. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah. very, very big lineup. And I think the venue was like three quarters sold out or something like that. Um, And I went there with like my housemate, his girlfriend, and like, you know, obviously a few of the people that were playing the room. We were just kind of like hanging out, chilling and whatever. I got so absorbed in the whole you know, this is the show, like, let's get everything right and all that stuff that I forgot to have fun. And it wasn't until like the countdown started that I realized that, holy shit, like I've literally been by myself this whole time, just running around doing stuff. And then the countdown started, everyone like vacated room two and then went into the main room to like watch the fireworks and whatever. 
And by the time I was like three or whatever, I opened up the door now and everyone's like, five, four, three. I'm stood there by myself, <laughs> by myself, watching everybody like hug each other and do you know what I mean? Actually enjoy the whole experience. And I was just like, damn, like this, this sucks. Like, do you know what I mean? You do so much work and then you don't even get to appreciate it or enjoy it yourself. That was a massive wake up call for me. Um, and I think ever since then, I've kind of taken a step back from the shows and how I do the show. I mean, we still do shows, but um, it's just, it, it has a different meaning to me, where, mm. which is what I was saying about going from like doing the big 10,000 shows to actually, no, I'd rather be in a room with like 50, 60 people or 100 people even and have some form of connection rather than spend half my night waiting in these long ass queues that go through the crowd just to get to the other side of the venue. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, so that's one That's one thing. Uh, I, I, that's one mistake. It's like, you know, the bigger, bigger doesn't necessarily mean better. Second thing I'd say, hmm. I'd say your, your, your feelings and your, your general, your mental health as well. I mean, it, it covers the other one, but if you don't feel like doing something, at least, you know, an, an idea doesn't resonate with you fully, but you do it because of the person that's suggesting you do it. That's the completely wrong way to go about things. And I've been in that position, like, you know, where I've either had like management or agents or whatever, and because I trust their their position or their, their their status in the particular scene, I've gone forward with whatever they've decided for me to do. And ultimately that's not worked out for me greatly. So that's another thing. It's like having your own, like know what your benchmark is, like know what the, uphold your standards at every single point and no compromise, no compromise. In that, I don't want to touch on a narrative that you don't feel fully comfortable with, but just yeah. on that point, do you, is that where, say, for example, a manager has said, we want this amount for an artist, or we need to pay this amount, or we want this size capacity if you're putting on this show, and you felt that you didn't want to do that, but they have said, like, otherwise, he or she or them aren't playing? Um, actually, well, <laughs> that, was, that was another conversation. So uh, we were supposed to be playing a show, or sorry, hosting uh, Room 2, uh, a well-known venue. I'm not going to go into details. Mm. And let's just say a, a, a quote-unquote rival, not even a rival, but a, a brand of similar size. They were playing in the, the main room, and they basically – well, let's, say, let's just say their agents or their booking agents basically said, if you announce Lengoland, we're pulling our acts off the main stage, off the main room. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And also there was another instance where we tried to book an, an act from the, the same you know, brand or whatever. And they pretty much pulled the same thing where they were like, yo, you can't, you can't book X, Y, Z. And that left me with like a bit of taste in my mouth because I was just like, yo, like, I, why is this the case? And then I've tried to like investigate and delve further into it. And that's when everyone starts playing dumb. Like, oh, I don't know. I just leave it up to X, Y, Z. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, that, 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 that was kind of a, a bummer, to be honest with you. Um, so yeah, you, you learn different things. But also, I, from, from back to my point that I was saying, like, when I was like working with agents and all of that stuff, and also just influences, people that I respect, you could say, and I go to for advice mm. and such, they'll give me advice which might not necessarily be to my liking, but because of who they are, I'll take it on. That's actually the worst thing I could have ever, ever have done. Um, so, yeah. But you can recognize that now. Massively. And as yeah. long as you can recognize it and learn from it, it's not 
Oh, it's yeah. not a waste, is it? I don't, I don't, no, no, no. I, I definitely do not think it's a waste because look, at the, at the time, like I was on top of the moon. Like, what do you, what do you mean? The, the, someone that I grew up listening to is like actually taking their time to give me advice. Of course I'm going to listen. This is what I've dreamed of, right? But then when you actually look back on it, like a couple of months later or like a year down the line, you're actually like, damn, yeah, okay. I had that moment sat on the throne for like a few minutes, but what have I gained from that? Absolutely nothing, you know? They always say like, you know, don't shit on people on your way up because you'll meet them on your way back down. And like, that's kind of, I mean, not that I was shitting on anyone in my way up at all, but there was definitely a sense of like, okay, cool. I've got it patterned. No one else's opinion matters right now, um, which... That was a terrible, terrible, terrible way to look into things. It's never a waste or it's never a wasted journey or it's it's never a bad thing as long as you can, as long as you can reflect back on it and be like, okay, well, I'll just do this next time or I've done this, I've given it a punt. It might not have worked that way, but at least I can say that I tried it type thing. Amen. As you said that the brand has grown, the group has grown, the, the label's grown, mm-hmm. events have gone international. What do you now class as a win? Like nowadays, when at your current stage with the label and with management and stuff like that, in the earlier stuff, you might be like, oh, we've got this book and all, we've got this amount of streams, we've got this play, but we've got this radio time. What what do you class as a win yourself nowadays? Um, okay, it depends on what, you know, what the, the project is. But like, say, for instance, if we're doing events, I'd say people actually coming to the show, the DJs enjoying their sets, you know, just general good vibes. That's a win on the event front. Like I've, I've, I've done events that have sold out. And then at the end of it, you know, everyone's like done so, shoved so much shit up their nose that it's just, it's just angry fest. And everyone's shouting at each other at 4am in their kitchen somewhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, that for me is not necessarily a win. A win for me would be like doing the same show maybe, but then going home feeling like, yo, we actually achieved something. Like that was great. Like I want to, you know, relive that and and actually having memories. That, that <laughs> That's another thing. Um, on the label front, for me, it's seeing an artist go from like zero to hero almost. Like, not, not, maybe not overnight, but giving them that confidence boost. Like say for instance, um, We've had a we've had a few releases where the artist had never ever done anything like like released anything before, and on their first release through Langoland, they've gotten like banners on Beatport. Spotify's picked up the track and put it on the playlist. You know all these little things, right? Which for bigger artists, it's kind of part and parcel of their you know their 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 journey on on release day, right? But for these artists that are you know used to getting a few hundred players on their tracks to go to being like, you know, featured on a, in front of a genre page on Beatport or Juno or anything like that. I feel like that's a win, you know, it, it, they might not get a number one, but this is, this is way better <laughs> than, than what they were, what they were doing before. And if I can help bring them there, then, you know, it's also, that's a win as well. Give them the confidence to, push out more and, you know, do more with their music and be more invested in it. I think that's that, that's probably one of the biggest wins. That comes straight back into the point we were making earlier with Wito and obviously nurturing and, and helping people grow and being very humble and uh, very very considerate with people's feelings, mate, and very considerate with the label and putting other people first. Yeah, I'm very yeah. conscious of the time, and I don't want to keep you too long because I know that's you're okay. a busy boy. Um, one thing I just wanted to finally finish on, if Junior could transport back to 2016, mm-hmm. 
right at the start of Langerland and right at the start of Bits and Pieces, what piece of advice would you give yourself taking into thought all of the stuff that's happened over the last five, six years? Absolutely nothing. No? No. Because the like what's the word you know like ah oh, there's there's a really corny quote that i read some time ago it's like when you're happy you listen to the song or you listen to the beat or something when you're sad you listen to the lyrics so if, does that make sense that does make sense yeah that does make sense um it, it's probably phrased a lot better than that but i feel like every decision that i've made so far and will continue <laughs> will make moving forward is based on how I feel, like what's going on in my life and what the sound or the, or the, or the, the, the soundscape or the landscape of music is saying in front of me. So if I'm feeling very happy and lovey-dovey and all that stuff, I'd go down the garage lane and you know listen to some nice garage. If I'm feeling energetic and just angry and I just want to get some energy out, then that's the DMB route and all that stuff. Now, I, I rotate through those moods like, on a weekly basis right now. So this week I might be like, I really want to listen to some jump up and just drink beers and ah, punch walls and stuff. Right. Yeah. I can't go back in 2016 and be like, release only jump up because then <laughs> I don't feel angry every day. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So I think, I, yeah, just everything I've done, I, I'm happy with everything I've done. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't want to say regrets because the regrets are part of the story, aren't they? There's one thing as well, which, it's taken me a while to like really sink in. It's taken a while to sink in into my like psyche, but like there's always more people that don't know who you are. Do you know what I mean? So you've never really blown your opportunity to showcase your talent until you've hit every, all the 7 billion people plus on this planet that exist. Do you know what I mean? So there's always someone new to you or new to your sound or new to your brand or new to your whatever. So you're never really wrong. You're just maybe in the wrong place. Listen, man, I've told you once, I've told you twice. You know what I'm on the list. All right, all right.